Welcome to The Last Word on the Crosstalk Messages podcast. Every week we take a last look at the message from the most recent Crosstalk. Enjoy this short conversation and stay tuned for the full message directly after. Hello and welcome to The Last Word. My name is JD. This morning I am joined by two very special guests. They are always wonderful Crosstalk interns we have with us, Cam. Morning. And Johnny. Good morning. That was so sweet. Or afternoon. <laughs> uh, Johnny, you're kind of the man of the hour because last week uh, you preached on a story that for a lot of us is incredibly familiar. If we've mm-hmm. been in church for any length of time, we have heard this story. For me, Jesus walking on water is a story that I've heard since I was like a little kid in Sunday school. And it's yeah really a challenge, quite frankly, to preach on uh, something that is incredibly familiar to people because Mm -hmm. they often think that it's something that they already know or that they have nothing left to learn because they've heard it so many times. Like how many different directions can somebody possibly take the same story that I've heard a hundred times? And now I know that you are in a similar boat to me um, in that regard. And Kind of where I wanted to start this conversation, honestly, Cam and I can probably just shut up because (laughs) I was just curious, how did this story become new for you in your preparation for this? Or perhaps how did it become alive for you in a new way over the past several weeks? That is such a good question because it was a challenge. Mm -hmm. Um, And a greater challenge that was brought that I wasn't expecting is how short it was. Um, Mm -hmm. Specifically in Mark, you know, uh, Mark is very immediate. You know, he's very... Like, Jesus did this. And so it was just a couple verses, and I was like, man, what do I do with this? But it was cool because I was able to really just, like, take it word by word and even look at it in its original Greek and just all the different translations and the cross-references to the other Gospels Mm, and see, like, what did Mark emphasize? Yeah. And I think that the thing that I got out of it that was different was that it was almost like kind of like the chosen where I was like brought there and could visualize like Mm. the pain and torment Mm. that the disciples are going through and how actually like extraordinary it was that Jesus like just walked on water, stepped on the boat and everything Mm -hmm. just went quiet. Yeah. Yeah. And it was so personal and it just felt really personal to me. And it reminded me that like, man, I had this disbelief in Jesus, but rather like he is so much bigger and greater and stronger than mm-hmm. I could imagine. And if yeah. he could do that, you know, command the wind into the sea, then he can obviously walk me through this like kind of bad season I'm going through, yeah. you know? Yeah. yeah, no, absolutely. And I think that that, uh, you bring attention to something that is really important, which is kind of, it's a it's a story of contrasts. And mm-hmm. it is the contrast between the disciples who are tired, who are struggling against the wind, who are up in the middle of the night, and Jesus who like walks in and kind of brings peace and calm in the midst of uh, their existential angst. You could almost yeah. feel a bit of their angst in the context when we know sure. uh, kind of like where they've all come from. And one of the things that I really appreciated about how you handled this passage this past Thursday day was how personal it felt to you. And that's something that you actually just said. You said mm-hmm. that this is a message that God taught you in one of the hardest seasons mm-hmm. of your life. And, and I'm a firm believer that our best messages come from the things that God is also teaching us. In, in those spaces, we aren't coming from a place of like authority, like where I'm telling you what you need to know mm-hmm. because I'm an expert on something, as opposed to you are inviting people into what God is actively teaching you. So in the midst of that hard what comfort or what peace did it bring you that Jesus knew what you were going through? That is also a great question. (laughs) Um, I shared a story on Thursday that my parents told me that, you know, with anything you can, or with God, you can do anything Mm -hmm. and how that blew my mind. And that is something that is just like this simple truth that the gospel is so simple, a child can understand it. And we forget it and complicate it so often And so whenever I'm feeling doubt, whenever I'm feeling like I have this anxiety that's never going to go away, that like things are wrong with me, that people that are going to affect other people and that won't ever change, I'm reminded by this passage that Jesus can walk on water, command the sea, and bring peace to literally the earth. Mm -hmm. And so I know he's done it for me before, and I know he can do it for me now. Mm -hmm. And so just that reminder that God is so powerful and in control, um, how like, you know, he says that like it is finished at the end whenever he's like done on the cross and it's mm-hmm. saying that like he has authority over the world. Like he has authority like in my situation as well. And so mm-hmm. 
reminded, I was reminded that like he is just so powerful mm. and that he wants to use that power for me and for mm. good. Yeah. And I think it's easy to forget that. But when you're reminded of that, you're like, man, anything's possible. Like God mm-hmm. will and can bring me through this season. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can you repeat the question? The kids are getting full authenticity this morning. Kim got so wrapped up into listening to Johnny, she forgot what we were talking about. Um, the first point that Johnny made was that Jesus, uh, Jesus knows what we're going through. Mm-hmm. Jesus knows what we're going through. And so I was just curious how that brings peace or comfort to you in your life to know that we have a savior who has experienced life. He has experienced all the temptation. He has experienced the hardship Mm -hmm. and yet Mm -hmm. he didn't sin. Yeah. Johnny, something that you pointed out on Thursday that really stuck out to me Mm -hmm. is the lens in which we view Jesus through, Mm -hmm. depending on our season. But in God's grace and in the the mercy that he lavishes and just because he is who he is, the lens that we view him through doesn't change that he is the I am. And to me, that's comforting because all the grime and all the gross stuff that gets in the way and that gets in my view of Jesus, which it does, like— and I know that we don't want that to be the case, but with life, there are times when things get in our, our vision and they get in the way. And that's what we seek to, to not happen. We seek to walk with Jesus so intimately that we see him in such a clear and, and, a, and a beautiful mm-hmm. um, way. But I think in God's mercy, that is the most comforting thing to me is that the pressure is off of me, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, and, yeah. in the, and when stuff gets in the way, I can trust that God's hand is gonna reach through those things and he's going to uphold me with his righteous right hand. And like, God doesn't need us to for him to be exalted. Mm-hmm. He is gonna be exalted no matter what. He's gonna be all powerful no matter what. And then something that also stuck out to me that I never noticed before, it was actually a community group last night when when you were there and we were talking about it. At the beginning of the passage, when it says that Jesus, immediately Jesus made them get into the boat or Jesus led them into the boat. Mm -hmm. And in that, Jesus went off to pray. But when they were out in the water, it wasn't by some accident. (laughs) Like Jesus knew what he was doing by sending them into the water because he wanted to show them his glory. And I think that was a very purposeful and intentional thing and that it didn't catch God off guard, Jesus off guard. It didn't it didn't surprise him that the disciples were going through what they were on the water, but in fact it was a very intentional thing so that Jesus could show them who he was. Yeah. And as I walk through seasons and the, the hard things that I go through right now, I just remember this does not surprise God. It does not catch him off guard and in this he wants to show me who he is in the midst of all of it. Absolutely. I mean, the scriptures say that his power is made perfect in our weakness. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of exactly what you're talking about, Cam. And I know that there have been seasons in my life where I really, if I'm just being like 100% honest right now, where I really didn't feel like Jesus was was with me, in the midst mm-hmm. of my struggle. Yeah. Uh, I didn't feel like Jesus was pursuing me. I didn't feel his presence and actuality. It felt like he was completely absent or missing mm-hmm. in the midst of my darkest or hardest uh, times. And in the yeah. tr- Christian tradition, this is often called the dark night of the soul, mm-hmm. where, where we go through a season of our life where we just cannot sense God's presence. We yeah. cannot find Jesus mm-hmm. in the midst of whatever we're going through. And so, I was curious, what advice would you guys give to someone who is going through a season like that right mm-hmm. now? How do we cling to the truth that Jesus is pursuing us even when we don't feel it, mm-hmm. even when we can't find it mm-hmm. anywhere? How how do we cling to that truth? Mm-hmm. Yeah, man, JD, that is such a good question that mm-hmm. I think people are so commonly thinking and feeling and being like, am I the only one? Like, is this even allowed to think in church? Is that dark night of the soul type of thing? And something that I think is good advice is one, to remember, and two, to hold on. To remember that, you know, God has brought you through this before, that, you know, God is like, at the end of this, thinking of a little game you can play is, okay, so like what happens in the worst case scenario? Like then what? Then Mm -hmm. what? Then what? And you keep going on. And like the worst case scenario is like, Often people can find themselves, they're like, oh, well, what about death? Like death is the worst case scenario. That's horrible. But in reality, you get to spend eternity with Jesus. Like if that's your worst case scenario, then like, man, you have a pretty good life. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And like, you know, this world does, you know, stink and suck. But, you know, if we're surrounded by community, they can remind us of like that our values in Christ and that like in this like hard season, 
we are still saved and secured with Jesus, you know, in heaven. He still has this Mm -hmm. pursuit for us because he's done it before. So remembering that. And then what Sean talked about on Sunday is he was talking about that we as Christians hold on, that like everyone goes through bad times, but we go through it differently. And whenever he Mm -hmm. said that, I was like, man, that's such a good way to phrase that. Like whenever bad things are happening, us as Christians who find our, you know, salvation and faith and worth in Jesus— Mm-hmm. We hold on to that hope and that truth, yeah. and we go through those challenging seasons very differently. So, yeah, I'd say hold on and to remember. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's good. Yeah, the first thing I would say is just to be honest with yourself yes. and with the Lord and mm-hmm. with the people around yeah. you. Because I think if you're just suppressing that truth about how you're feeling, and I think if you're just kind of trying to— push it down mm-hmm. and not be honest about it. I think those are just those feelings are just going to keep staying where they are and I don't think any growth is going to come from it. 100%. Because I've been in that moment before where mm-hmm. I'm like am I like you were saying am I allowed to feel like I don't feel God right now? Is that something that I can do as a Christian and, and I wasn't honest and I look back and um actually somebody at group last night said that um I think it might have been Devin but he said that Moments like that lead to a spiritual stillbornness yeah. um, when we're not completely honest in those moments and when we're not asking those in our community to to come alongside us and where we can just be completely vulnerable with them. And so I would say, one, just remember that people do care about you. People mm-hmm. love you, especially in Crosstalk community. This is the perfect community to come with people and say, um, here's the deal, guys. I don't really feel God right now in this season. I don't really know how he's working in my life. And actually that was an answer that we had a group last night. Mm -hmm. Somebody said that. They said, I don't know Mm -hmm. how God is doing that in my life right now. I don't know how God is walking towards me in my life right now. And we were able to to just listen to that person and we were able to give them a space to just completely feel safe. And so one, be honest with God because he hears you and he listens to you and he wants all of that stuff. And then the second thing is reflect. Um, I think just remembering and sitting with God and saying, okay, I don't know on the surface and I don't know how in this moment how you've been here from through my life, but right now, God, I'm gonna ask you. I'm gonna ask you to show me how you've been here for my life. I'm gonna ask you to show me your faithfulness because I need it. I need to be reminded of it. And even like the time you were born, I was reading in a book recently that said the chances of you being alive and being on this planet right now are like 0.00 to the negative zero, zero, like something yeah. absolutely ridiculous that's basically a 0% chance that you're even supposed to be alive right now. Mm-hmm. So the fact that God brought you into existence to have a relationship with Him and to commune with Him and to have a full and abundant life, that's just step one mm-hmm. to remind yourself of, is, is that God loved you so much that He brought you into existence. Two, the cross, the fact that Jesus died for your sins. And when we don't feel like it, that's okay. That's okay, because God promises that we're not always gonna feel like it. And so that can be a comfort to you as well, that if you don't feel it, that's okay. That's mm-hmm. that's something that we know we're gonna experience. And so I guess just really being honest with the people around you, being honest with yourself and God, and reflecting on the goodness of God that you've seen in your life. Mm-hmm. I do think it's important to note that our faith is not built on feelings. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, yeah. It's more than emotionalism, which mm-hmm. means that it's more than, uh, my faith is grounded in something more than when I feel God and when I don't mm-hmm. feel God. And I think mm-hmm. that that's a, an important truth that you just pointed out, Cam, which is that we have to be honest about how we're feeling. Mm-hmm. And when we're honest about how we're feeling, we also have to come to the honest realization that how I'm feeling does not determine whether God's presence is with me or not. Mm-hmm despite the fact that my external circumstances might want to convey that lie to me. And I think that you guys point out some really, really good stuff. And a lot of it is based in reflection. We look back on uh, the truth that is revealed to us in God's word. And we say, what does this say about who God is? And that lends itself to, to understanding and something to hold on to, to cling to, like you said, Johnny, in the midst of really hard stuff. And also we look back on our own life and say, how has God brought me through hard times before? That, that is the power of our testimony. That's the power of our story is to say that God has done in my life these things and he will continue to work in my life. And so I think you guys, um, just doing my best to distill what you guys were saying, but I think that those things are really, really important. Now, in the book of Mark, we've already seen Jesus demonstrate his authority over sickness, over death, even over spiritual beings, like with the Gerasene demoniac. Now we see Jesus demonstrate his authority over the natural 
world. Mm-hmm. Um, he walks on water, which defies the laws of physics, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> to be perfectly honest. And then we see him calm a storm. Um, he controls weather, which is kind of a, a, a difficult thing for us to wrap our mind around. And so what Mark is ultimately doing is he's painting this picture of Jesus as authoritative, as having authority over all things. And Johnny, on Thursday, you made the point that Jesus has authority over the natural world. Uh, How does this help me when I'm at the end of myself, when I'm tired, when I'm exhausted, when it feels like I can't keep going? How does this help me or or just help me make this uh, practical in my life? What, What does Jesus's authority mean for me in my life? Yeah. So, Often, whenever we look at Jesus walking on water, we're thinking, okay, is he Chris Angel? Is he David Blaine, one of the magicians? Like, what is yeah. the point of this? He's just flexing. Um, and we're like, oh, okay, he's cool. He can walk on water. But really, it's like, man, Jesus walking on water is this huge shift in the Gospel of Mark, I think, where it's like you take the things Jesus is doing and amplifies it that like, oh, my gosh, like he's more than the Messiah. He's more than a miracle worker. He is God. Mm-hmm. He is authority yeah. over the natural world. The disciples, I think, were fearful because they're like, that could not be Jesus, the Messiah we were with. Like he can do amazing things, but no way he can do this. And so I think by seeing that Jesus can walk on water, I think it shows us that we're not just on this earth by accident. Like you were saying, Cam, like there's this soul divine purpose that like we are here and that like God didn't just plop us onto the earth and say, all right, good luck, have fun. You know, maybe you'll get in heaven, maybe you won't, but rather like he is involved in the earth. He is like, here with us, helping us every day through our struggles, through the hard times, through the great times. Like, it's just this constant, like we have a living God. He's not far off, but rather this shows that like he has authority on earth and that he's like involved in like what we do here on earth and that he, you know, can control the wind and the sea. And so like to say that like your God is the one that can do that is amazing, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I think it gives us like a really just this optimistic sense of life, you know, where we're like, man, like my God can do that. And like, Mm -hmm. he's involved in this earth. He made this earth. Like that is so cool. So I think it helps us like shift our viewpoint and perspective thinking like, no, like life is really good, you know? Mm -hmm. And so that's how I get out of it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I kind of go back to Jesus has authority over everything and he wants you to know that. And he wants Mm -hmm. to show you. He wants to, he wants to show you his glory and he wants, he wants, to be in that relationship with you where you can you can see and like you can have access to that. And I just think that with with everything that we see going on in the world and everything going on in, the, in our personal lives too, we're so quick to be like, well, there's no way God could like help me in this. Mm-hmm. There's no way God could could fix this. And there's no way that God has authority over that. And we just think of ourselves as the exception. We just think of ourselves as something different. But the the story of in Daniel with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, yeah. um, something I always, I always go back to is that our God can save us. Our God will save us. And if he doesn't, he's still good. Even if he doesn't, he's still good. And having that mindset for us today that, man, God can do anything. Like my God can save me from this, he will. But even if he doesn't, he's still good. And so God is good. He's faithful. He's kind. He's generous. He's so selfless. And on top of that, he's got this authority over everything in the entire world. But even if he didn't, even if like Jesus wasn't somebody who had authority over the entire world, which he does, the fact that he is who he is alone and just the cross alone is good enough for me. Like that's enough to get me through life. But man, the fact that on top of that, he can do anything in the entire world, the weather that we have right now, he's the one that's ordaining that. Everything that we see, he ordains it. He's so sovereignly in every single step, not only of the world, but over your life is so comforting to me. Yeah, absolutely. I think sometimes we can take a a view that God created everything and then he took a step back and he has just allowed it to all take place. But what this demonstrates really is that God is intimately involved in his creation. That in the person of Jesus, he entered time and space, broke into time and space in the person of Jesus. And we see him working with all of the authority that he has. The realization that he holds all things together, that he is active in 
uh, creating. It wasn't a one-time creation, but God is continuing to create in our world. And so we see that God is redeeming things, that God is in control of things, that God is working through things. And that's really, I think, like both of you guys said, it's really, really comforting Yeah, to know that God is intimately involved, that he has power over my circumstance Mm-hmm. He has authority over everything that's going on in my life, and he is intimately involved in it. And then that's where we can see that even when we don't see it, even when we don't perceive it, that God is working all things mm-hmm. for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. Like it, he He is working and he is active, and it, it's his authority over all all of this world that allows him to do that in a really powerful way. And I think that that ultimately, Johnny, like you said, brings us hope. Mm -hmm. It brings us hope that God is with us, that he is working and active in everything that's going on. I could talk about this for an hour with you guys. We don't have that kind of time, but thank you guys for being here. Thank you guys for sharing. Johnny, I appreciate you, uh, all the hard work that you put in last week. Uh, I'm grateful for that. It was a blessing to Mm -hmm. me and to Cam, I'm Mm -hmm. sure to everybody in Crosstalk. This upcoming week, guys, we are really excited. We're going to continue to dive into the book of Mark. We're going to be in Mark chapter seven. We're going to talk about kind of a, a, a this moment where Jesus is interacting with the Pharisees again. And we've we've already looked at uh, a moment like this before. And what we're going to look at is uh, how the Pharisees are really focused on the exterior and Jesus is focused on the interior. It kind of returns to a theme that we've seen throughout Jesus's interactions with the Pharisees. So I'm excited to see what the Lord wants to do with that. And we'll see you guys on Thursday night. Me is, well, one, I'm a super duper senior. Um, so I've been here a little while, but also I grew up Christian. And so this is one of those stories that's just one of the stories you grew up with, hearing all the time in VBS, in church camps, and it's the story of Jesus walking on water. And so this is a story that y'all think you're probably very familiar with. But in 2021, when I was at the darkest point of my mental state, the message that this story brought me is the message that allowed me to be healed in Jesus. And so I'm hoping that y'all can have the same thing, that y'all can get a whole new perspective on this and that y'all can just learn something new. And so speaking of stories, I'm gonna start off with a terrible story about me actually. And so I am a math major and that's the terrible story. No, I was a math major. And then I quickly learned that I didn't care about the rate that droplets fell out of soda can. I didn't care about how many bananas Johnny had in his right hand and oranges he had in his left. I just wanted to be the guy that drank the soda and ate the fruit. And so I quickly switched to math minor. But in that time, I was in a class that I think was calculus one. They all merged together. They're all sort of numbers. And so in this class, though, I had a friend who's actually right over there. Um, And a mixture of me having that friend in that class and a mixture with this teacher having the thickest accent I've ever heard in my life and a mixture of just the way she taught. Like she would get so upset if we would get the answer wrong. She's like, why don't you understand? And the way she communicated the lessons, I just didn't get it. And so I put this judgment on her that I was like, she is a horrible teacher. And that was all the judgment that I had on her. And I was thinking, she doesn't even care about our success. She's just got the job for money, and this is terrible. And so surprise, surprise, I needed to go to office hours because I was struggling in the class. And so then I go into her office, and I'm like, all right, here we go. This is going to be a fun conversation. And then I see she's reading the Bible. And I was like, oh, shoot, okay. And I was like starting to talk to her. I was like, what are you reading and stuff? And then we get chatting, and she's like, this sweetest lady ever. And she's been like working hard to pay for her family to come into the country, be missionaries and stuff. And I was sitting there thinking, one, I'm a terrible human being and I need Jesus. But two, that my entire perspective of her changed whenever I had a little bit of context. And so why do I share that story? Well, just like the Bible, context is so important. And there's a funny verse that's taken out of context actually, but it's Philippians 4.13 that I can do all things with a verse taken out of context. But it's actually so true though that so many churches today are built on verses taken out of context. And so we're gonna take this ordinary story that y'all probably know really well, and we're gonna just start as wide as we can, and I'm gonna walk us down as small as we can so that way you can see what was going on in the disciples' minds, what was going on in Jesus' mind, what led them to this moment, what were they feeling? And so let's start broad, the Bible. Okay, the Bible, Right here, I got it it right here. (laughs) The Bible, 
has been the most bought book every single year in the world for at least the past 50 years, the most stolen book in the world, ironically, and most gifted book. It has shaped humanity, and it is zero contradictions, most cross-references ever. And something cool is in John 6.32, says that the Bible and God's word is bread of life. And we need to eat every day, and so we need to be in the word every single day. And there's actually some cool research that backs this up. So there's some research that shows that people who read their book, their Bible, four times a week, it says feeling lonely drops 30%. Anger issues drop 32%. Alcoholism drops 62%. Sex outside of marriage drops 68%. Um, Sharing your faith jumps 200%. And the choice to disciple others jumps 230%. And so that's cool because to some people, this is just a book. It's not even like God's word. But it doesn't matter because people are reading this book in four times a week. This is some results. Like, that's incredible. And so, a little bit about the Bible is that it's got the Old Testament, the New Testament. Most of y'all know this. It's got 66 books, believe 39 in the Old, 27 in the New. And it's got all these different types of literature. You got poetry, like the Psalms and the Song of Solomon. And there you get these real just songs and poetry of just people being like, God, why is this happening to me? I don't understand. Why am I in this place when I'm following you? So it's got some real stuff. That's really cool. And then you got things that are like more narrative and historical books, like the Torah, first five books. Those are like Lord of the Rings, where you got the Israelites going into wars, and you got these kings with like crazy powers and stuff. It's really awesome. And then arguably the most popular books and most, I don't know, changing books are the Gospels. And the whole Bible is God's rescue plan for humanity through Jesus. Jesus is there in the Bible at the start all the way to the end. And the Gospels, as you all know, are the four accounts of Jesus's life from four of the disciples. They're his like closest buds. And Mark is the oldest of those. And that's where we find ourselves today is about a third of the way through Mark. We're in Mark 6. And if you all remember, Cam spoke about Jesus feeding the 5,000. She talked a little bit about how the disciples were tired going into this. Well, I'm going to revisit that because that's very important to understanding the story of Jesus walking on the water. So the disciples, Jesus at the start of chapter six, he sends them out and he's like, don't take bread, don't take coin, don't take anything, go and spread the gospel. And they're like, bet. But could you imagine that to not take any food or money and you're like, go spread the gospel. And this is a time when it's super unpopular. And so they must've been exhausted physically and emotionally, especially because during this time, John, one of them, was beheaded. And so they returned to Jesus, and Jesus recognizes, he's like, all right, y'all are exhausted. Y'all need rest. Y'all need bread. It says, y'all need to eat because you haven't been eating. Y'all need rest. Let's go to a desolate place. And the disciples are like, yes, let's go. They're like, I see that five-star hotel on the way. I know there's gonna be Chick-fil-A, a a Tempur-Pedic mattress waiting for me. They're on their way. And then as Cam told us, there's the thousands of people that interrupt. And they're like, oh my gosh, are you kidding me? And then of course, Jesus being Jesus tends to them. And during this time though, it's important to note that the disciples weren't just chilling, they weren't just resting, they were serving too. They were helping, you know, spread the loaves of bread to the thousands, the fish to the thousands. And so during this time, they're even more exhausted. And that is where we pick up right here. So the first scripture is gonna be Mark 6, 45 to 48-ish. And so that says, Immediately, there's Mark's signature. He made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, they went up or he went up onto the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully for the wind was against them. Uh, That's the ESV version, if y'all wanna know. And something important to note there, is that, you know, Jesus had good intentions. He was like, okay, y'all helped. Now go get rest. I'll do the closing time thing. I'll dismiss everyone. Y'all go get rest. And so they're like, finally, let's go. So they're on the boat, they're going. And Jesus is, you know, dismissing everyone. And he's like, all right, now I got to get my alone time. Goes up on the mountain, prays, gets his alone time. And then it's late and he sees the disciples. It says they're making headway painfully in the wind. And you're like, bro, like, how is this happening? Like, are you kidding me? This terrible, terrible circumstance of just we're so close to getting rest and we have to face this storm. 
And I actually looked at the original Greek of the scripture, and that word painfully translates to a word called uh, basinemos, something like that. Yeah, basanismos. <laughs> and what that word means is torture, tormented. And is actually used really recently by a demon when he's pleading to Jesus. He's like, don't send me into basinemos or whatever. And so it's not that they were just fighting against some wind, like they were in a storm being tortured and tormented. And this is a point where they are exhausted. And I can kind of relate a bit to this story. Um, man, this is such a context, or such a shift, but I went to Disney World. Um, <laughs> not at all like that at all, but it was really fun. It was awesome, happiest place on earth. Um, Brooklyn and I went with my family, we went to a different park every day, got a Harry Potter wand, got to see I went on the, the new Star Wars ride, if anyone knows what that is. It's like a 20-minute ride. So cool. Um, and it was so fun. It was truly the best vacation I've ever been on. And then came the journey home. And there's a bit of things you need to know before I talk about the journey home. So this was the funnest vacation. But we knew we had an early flight, and then Brooklyn started feeling a little sick, a little bit of cough, and so we were like, not looking forward to it, but we're like, it won't be that bad. And we did not know what was coming for us. And so... The night before, my sister had her birthday dinner, and so we were out, and it was fun and stuff, but we were out till like 1 a.m., and we had an early flight, but I don't think we knew how early the flight was, because as soon as we got back, I didn't get to sleep. I just had to pack and get ready for the Uber, and I don't even know if Brooklyn got to sleep either. And so like, one of my sisters and her fiancés came with Brooklyn and I, we got in the Uber, and this is like probably 2 a.m., 3 a.m., no sleep. And this Uber driver, man, um, so she had the GPS right here, the, the navigation, and so we could see it. And you can see the blue line, it tells you to exit, it tells you to turn, but if, if that's not enough, it's got a cool little thing where it tells you the directions below. She just decided not, just no. She just decided to keep going. And so she missed turn after turn, and I began telling her what turns to make, because I was getting so frustrated. I was like, lady, we are ready for rest, we need to get to this plane. We are exhausted. And so we finally make it to the airport eventually. And we take our first flight. It's good, I think. I mean, still feeling like a little sick and stuff. But then we have a layover. And I don't know if you all know about layovers, but they've never been. I've never had a good layover. And I don't know how long it was, but it had to have been hours. I don't even know what city we were in. And so we started taking shifts, sleeping under a table there. And we're like, this sucks. And we finally got on the last flight, and then we're separated. And so I'm just sitting there with strangers thinking, like, my girlfriend's sick with some strangers on this last flight. And we finally get back. But why do I say that story at all? Well, it's because I was thinking, this is Disney. This is the greatest vacation I've ever been on. Why does it feel like this is the worst vacation I've ever been on? Why is this the suckiest travel time I've ever had? And the disciples, in a similar way, are thinking, how could we be with Jesus? How could we be doing things with Jesus? And he's over there chilling on the beach and we're out here like risking our lives, like we're exhausted and we're out here facing a storm now. Does he not understand what's going on with us? Like he sees that we went out, we shared the gospel, he sees that we're going on the boat, but does he understand how like exhausted we are emotionally, physically? And that leads into my first point that Jesus knows what you're going through. Jesus knows what you're going through. And so, this is how the disciples felt, and I think we can often relate. We can think, I'm following God. I'm a Christian. This is going great. I'm doing everything that he wants, but it just feels like he doesn't understand human emotion. Like, what do I mean by that? So it's like when we're in college and we start failing tests or something, and we're like, God, you, I don't think you were planning on this whole failing test thing, and so I'm going to read the, my Bible tomorrow. I'm going to read it next week because I have to do homework. I have to do that. And it's reasonable, right? Or you're like, God, like, I know you really want me to go to church this week, but me and my girlfriend just broke up. And so I'm going to put that on pause. I don't think you were expecting this. I don't think you were planning for this emotion, this circumstance to happen and get in the way of your ministry. And so we're having all these things happen to us, and we're thinking that God is far off and just sees us and just doesn't do anything. And that he just doesn't understand what being brokenhearted, what being sad, what being fearful is like. Well, God not only tells us countless times in Psalms and in the Old Testament that he does see and understand what we're going through, but lucky for us, in the most 
bold and clear as day way, he comes in the flesh as Jesus. And Jesus lived the perfect life and still felt everything that we felt. You see that his family didn't believe him. His family doubted him that he was, they're like, you're insane. Why are you saying you're the Messiah? And then you see that he has his friend Lazarus die and that's where you get the shortest verse that Jesus wept. And then you see, we just talked about John was beheaded. And then you see he's pouring into these disciples. He's taking a tax collector. He's taking a fisherman, changing their lives around. And then the day before he's like, knowing he's gonna be crucified, he's like, guys, I have one favor to ask you. Could you please just stay awake while I pray here so you can guard me? And they let him down time and time again. He's like, I had one request. And then if that wasn't enough, still one of those disciples traded Jesus's life in for a few coins. And then all the people that he healed, spent his life protecting and loving, those are the people that decided that they'd rather a thug than Jesus. And he was then, as you know, whipped, spat on, mocked, and he was crucified on the cross. And Jesus feels your pain. God knows what it's like. He does. And so Matthew eleven twenty eight talks about that. We go to Jesus and we, see, we get rest. And a lot of times we're just looking at this verse being like, Jesus, where's this rest? But I don't think we realize that we need to go to him to get the rest. Now, what does this look like? I got a little analogy that I don't know how this is gonna go, but this might help a little bit. So things happen, life happens. Say you and your girlfriend and boyfriend broke up. So you're like, I'm gonna carry this, okay. And then say, you didn't get the job that you were dreaming of, that you worked your whole life to get. Just gonna stack that on there. And say, next, a family gets sick, something like that. You weren't expecting that. You just add it on. And I got one more. Now say that you failed the test that you studied for, and that means you don't even get to graduate. You're carrying all these things thinking, this is stuff that God cannot possibly understand that because I don't think you can understand it, I'm gonna hold on to because I don't know what else to do. And then watch, watch what happens. Emily, can I borrow a pen really quick? Oh, here, thanks. Thanks. You see? No, that's how it's supposed to go. So you see that when we're carrying all this stuff, not thinking that God is big enough to hold it, what happens is we can't have our arms open like how we are in worship. We can't receive whatever God wants to show us or help us with. And so how do we give those boxes to him? Well, there's a few ways through worship, maybe at church, just be more humble, bring these things to him and go in prayer and be like, God, I don't understand why this did happen to me. I don't even know what to do with it or what it means. And it feels unfair, but I'm going to give it to you and I'm still going to worship despite it. And so that is just a simple way you can give it to God. Because that way you're not carrying all these boxes, you know, and trying to run life, you know, with all of them thinking like, God, no, you don't understand. So I got it. And you don't even know what to do with it. So be giving those to, to him. And John 16, says that in this world, you will have tribulation. Not you might have a few bad things happen. Things bad will happen. It's a weird way to say that. Bad things will happen. <laughs> they will. But take heart for I have overcome the world. That's how that verse ends. And also in Genesis 50, 20, you got Joseph and he's speaking to his brothers who their whole lives, they just spent trying to kill their brother. And Joseph is before them as second in command of Egypt. And he says, what you meant for evil, God meant for good, that it may save many lives. And so by that, it means when we give things to God, he can take a bad circumstance and not only turn it around to something good, but something even more powerful, something even greater. He can turn such great things out of your bad circumstances. But when you're carrying these things and just letting these bad things happen, not giving them to God, you just have these bad things. That's it. And you can blame God, but you're still holding these bad things. So try to give them to him. And it's uncomfortable. It's scary. It is. But that's why we have a community to help us do that. So let's take a look at what the disciples do with their huge mountain of boxes that they're carrying. We're going to read on in Mark, that's not it. Yeah, Mark 6, 48 to 50. It says, and about the fourth watch of the night, which is about three to 6 a.m., he, Jesus, came to them walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them, 
But what, when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. So this is the moment that Jesus came off that beach. This is the moment when the disciples were most tired, most exhausted, most fearful, that Jesus decided to pursue them. He didn't just pursue them through a whisper, through a small act, but he walked on the water to them. And so that leads into my second point, which is that Jesus pursues you every day with an extraordinary gospel. Hearing this makes me think of a mission trip that I went on. So I went to Honduras a few years ago, and it was super cool. I was very excited. I saved up enough money to go, and I was like, let's go. It's going to be my first time out of the country, and I couldn't wait. And so we, it was all guys. We got on the plane, and this is actually cool, kind of cool. The airport is the most dangerous airport in the world because you have to go like almost vertical to the landing because of the mountains, and everyone clapped when we landed, but I did not clap. I stood up for people that don't clap when planes land. But it was cool, we got there, it was awesome. Y'all know what I'm talking about. <laughs> and we got there, and I had these expectations going into it um, because we were told that we're like, okay, you're gonna dig miles of trenches to put water pipes in and then cover them up. I was like, cool, oh, and spread the gospel. I mean, they were all like, they were a great Jesus community, but like to help them learn how to spread it. And so I was like, all right, I'm gonna go into it, I'm gonna work really hard, and I'm sure I'm gonna come out of it being appreciative that, I don't know, in America we have like fast food everywhere and I can drive anywhere, just all these simple things. But man, God had some other plans to show me. And so when we were there, every day we'd have one guy share their testimony. And it was mostly older guys. I think I was the youngest one there. And this one dude who's like an older farmer guy, he, he gave his testimony. And he began talking about our spiritual lives kind of as an analogy with the shovels and with digging the trenches. And so he was talking about it and he was like, some of you guys are covering up the trenches. That's how far you are in your faith journey. Some of you guys are maybe just starting on the trenches, trying to figure out, you know, how do I grow my faith and stuff? And he was like, for me, I'm just picking up the shovel. And I thought it was funny in the moment, but I was like, he looked at me and he was, kept telling me that he like felt like I was the guy that was like covering up the trenches and I was that far in my faith journey. But really, in that moment, I was thinking, man, already on this trip, God has shown me that I have missed such a big part of him. I learned two things while I was there. One was that God is so big that he created the mountains there and all of the people, like it was beautiful. I think I have a picture of the mountains too. It was amazing to see how cool God is that he could create that. The second thing was that the people there blew my mind. So the people there, Jesus was everything to them. The way that they like ran their village, the way that they ran their school, they had so many family members pass away and all of them were just obsessed with Jesus. They were like, it's okay, God's got me. Like Jesus is still good. Like he was everything to them. And it blew my mind because I was thinking like here in America, Jesus is just kind of like a hobby to us. He's almost like a second personality trait to us. And so with that being said, you see um, that, yeah, the big danger with that is that the gospel went from extraordinary to ordinary. And I learned that that was the disconnect. That's what made me lose that awe that they had, is that the gospel turned from extraordinary to ordinary. And what do I mean by that is that I kind of got used to it. I was like, yeah, Jesus is great. I know the message. I know what he did on the cross. I've heard it. I have the cross. And so I just kind of knew it, but I was like, the things now I wasn't giving to him. There were so many things I chose not to give to him. I didn't push myself to disciple people I didn't feel like discipling. I didn't push myself to go into worship humbly because I was judgmental of whatever things there was. And what that led me to was I had this disbelief in God because the gospel was from extraordinary to ordinary. I had this disbelief in him, which led me to fear. That's the same thing the disciples are having right here, is that they see this guy walking on the water and they have this disbelief that he is powerful and big enough to do that. They're like, no, Jesus is the Messiah. He's this guy that can just heal diseases and stuff. That can't be him. They had this disbelief that that could be Jesus and that led them to live in fear. And so what we need to do with that is we need to challenge ourselves and come into worship and come into prayer more humbly. 
When I was a kid, I remember my parents telling me really young, they were like, hey, did you know that with God, anything is possible? And it blew my mind. I was, I, don't even, I was so young, but I was thinking in my head, if God wanted me to fly, he could do that. If God wanted to pick up this mountain, move to a different country, just plop it down, he could do that. And that seems funny, but in reality, I, that's true kind of like, I mean, we need to have this awe of God, of how powerful he is, that he's not just a hobby of ours. And so with that, you need to remember that the gospel can't become an ordinary thing in your life. And so we tend to complicate it. And I think that that's how it gets to an ordinary spot is that we tend to complicate it and think that the gospel is something that's cool, but you need to be good enough for it. Or it's just enough right now, but it's not gonna be enough for whenever I have this mental illness. It's not gonna be enough for whenever it just seems impossible for God to pull me out of this spot. And so let's see how Jesus responds to them being scared. This part's really cool. So reading the rest of Mark 6, Mark 6, 50 to 52 says, but immediately, there's another Mark signature. He spoke to them and said, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them and the wind ceased and they were utterly astounded for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. So what just happened? This scene is amazing, y'all. 2,000 years ago, really, on the Sea of Galilee, there was this wooden boat with the disciples in it. These aren't just characters. These are real people, real faces, real personalities. These disciples were on there, and they were exhausted. They were so sore, probably. They were so tired, and they're facing this storm, and the wind is so loud, and the rain is hitting them, and they're terrified they're going to jump over or like fall over the boat, and they see this thing coming on the water towards them. They don't even know what to make of that. And they're so scared. And then they don't even know what's going on. And then Jesus steps on the boat. And he says, take heart. Do not be afraid. And this moment is amazing. Because the wind stops, the rain stops. It's just Jesus on the boat. And it leads me to my third and final point, which is that Jesus always has authority over the world. Jesus always has authority over the world. This moment is so significant because Jesus was revealing some incredible news to them, some news that was not really known by them. And the way he did it was you can find in what he said. And so when he said, it is I, you might be thinking, okay, Jesus is saying, guys, don't worry, I'm not a ghost, I'm Jesus. No, but it also references back to the burning bush in Moses. Whenever Moses was like, who are you? What is this burning bush talking to me? And then Jesus, or God says, I am who I am. And in this moment, Jesus says, it is I. And then you also see that he meant to pass by them in the, in the scripture here in Mark 6. And there I got kind of confused. I was like, what does it mean that Jesus meant to pass by them? Was he trying to race the boat? Was he trying to like get around them and like race them to the other side and just flex that he can go on water quicker than them? I was very confused. But then I thought more in it. And I was like, I've heard of pass by them before. And it's also with Moses. Whenever he was like, God, you're telling me you're glorious, but show me your glory. I don't believe it. And God's like, all right, look through the cleft of the rock and I'm going to pass by you. And I'm going to show you my glory. And it's at that moment that Moses learns, this is God who is gracious, slow to anger. Y'all know these verses. We talked about them a lot earlier, but abounding in steadfast love. And in this moment, Jesus does those two things to reveal to them. And he walks on the water showing that he's not just Jesus, the Messiah, He's not just someone who can cure illnesses or cure disease, but he literally has authority over the natural world we live in. He is so much bigger than we think he is. In Luke 19.40, it says that if no one cries out to God, the very rocks here will just worship him. And something cool that I think is hopefully gonna be really encouraging to y'all is that if a billion, if more than a billion people on this world today reject Jesus, don't go to church, say, that's not for me, that's not real. They just don't believe in him at all. It doesn't change the fact that God still created this earth. It just won't change that. It's a fact. And what's cool about that is it doesn't change the fact that God still created you and he still knows you. Matthew 10, 30 says he knows the amount of hairs on your head. You know what that means? He knows all the baggage you have. He knows all the things you've done. And he still chose to break everything and just come in the flesh, live the perfect life and die on the cross for you, knowing that much about you. 
And for everyone, he extends this invitation that is eternity with him, a relationship with him. And no matter how many people deny who he is or say he doesn't exist, it does not change the fact that that invitation is still there for every single person. So my question is, how do you describe Jesus in your life? When someone's getting to know you, when they're asking who you are, are you like, yeah, I'm Johnny, um, I like track, I like disc golf, I happen to be Christian, I love cookies and pizza, um, what else? I like movies and stuff. But right there, Jesus is just a small hobby of mine, just this side part in my life. Or a good question to help navigate this is who is Jesus to you? Is Jesus just a good prophet? Is he just a good teacher? Or is he maybe a false teacher, someone who creates division in your life? Or do you see him through the lens of how broken Christians have acted towards you? Or do you see him as a genie in a bottle and you get upset every time he doesn't, I don't know, make any request alive? How do you see him? Or do you see him how he revealed himself to the disciples, which is glorious, which is that he pursued them in their mess, met them in the storm, and he walked on the water pursuing them, and that he just doesn't have authority only over illness and disease, but that he can step into any situation. He is that big that he can step into any situation and heal you. And so what's cool also is that he says at the start, do not be afraid. And I don't know if y'all know this, but the Bible says do not be afraid 365 times. That's one time for every day of the year. And you might know that, but what is today's do not be afraid? In this scripture, he spoke to you today to say, do not be afraid. What do you need courage in? Is it a choice? Is it a tough relationship? Is it being bold about your faith? Where do you need courage? Because God is speaking to you every day, especially today. Do not be afraid. Whenever I had my anxiety attack, uh, that's why I referenced at the start that I was at the lowest mental state I've ever been in my life. This is the scripture, that message reminded me, God is so big that he can step into that mess that I thought was impossible to heal. And slowly, I decided to take those boxes and give it to him. And he slowly healed me over time. It was amazing. And so I pray that you guys can see you have mess. We all have mess. But that Jesus doesn't just ignore it, that he sees your mess and that he chooses he chooses to pursue you every single day. And I hope that y'all can have the courage to take that stuff and give it to him. Because in that, you will have freedom. Give those boxes to him. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you for everyone in here, God. I thank you that you knew they'd be here today, that you spoke, do not be afraid to them today, God. And I pray that each, every one of us can have courage, Lord, to have courage to Take that next step in our faith, Lord, to be bold about our faith, to not just see you as a hobby, God, but see you as Lord of all, that you've created this beautiful earth, all the big mountains. Lord, in that you are everything to us, and that you pursue us in that you can calm a storm, Lord, so you can calm anything in my life, God. So I pray that we can begin to see that you are so much more than we've made you out to be, God. And I pray, I pray that we don't just ignore the Bible and say that's just another book, Lord, but that we can go to it every single day and see that it can change many, many.